This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Mm. Shiver me timbers out there. 48 hours of subarctic freeze that has affected our tri-state area and beyond. In fact, in a place in New Hampshire called Mount Washington, 6,000 feet up, 110 degrees below zero. Man, Nancy, that's cold. That's brutal. That's brutal. Now, t- give us an idea, because I know you've been all out there checking on all the animals uh, who either are forced to live outside or choose to live outside, or it's Mother Nature's way. They have to live outside. What has it been like in the last 48 hours? Uh, I mean, well, obviously, it's uh, been super cold, um, very windy. So, you know, that's that's increased the feeling, like, you know, the wind chill temperature. Um, but then also because of the the winds, anything that's near the shoreline, obviously New York City has a lot of areas that are near some form of water. So it's um, like ice, actually, like the, the water itself has been like rushing with ice. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just been, re- I mean, it, it's unbelievable how bad it's been out there. It's It's one of the worst I've seen. So describe for our listeners, many of whom have not ventured outside, it's just been too, too cold. The bitter Arctic uh, wind at times would just cause people almost to suffer from a form of paralysis. What have the animals been doing? What have you seen some of the different kind of animals do in order to survive this? Um, Okay, well, okay, so definitely the pigeons, right? You know, I'm going to notice those um, first because... Every time we walk out of the house, we see them. So the pigeons, obviously, they don't leave. This is where they stay. But even this has been, like, very tough for them uh, weather-wise. So the way that they keep themselves warm is they kind of, like, puff their, um, you know, like the the coat that they have, their feathers. So it creates, um, like, insulation. So they have, like, a big insulation shield. And then when you see them where they're sitting and their head is, uh, tilted backward, and their their beak is actually like within the fur, so they're a they're a contained unit, and you know so they can ride out the weather. But now this has been pretty extreme too, so they have to like lower their metabolism as well. So uh, you know they can be in that sort of a hibernation state, so to speak, with a low metabolism, but 
then that affects their ability to escape quickly, which obviously in New York City could be necessary. Well, speaking of uh, pigeons in New York City, uh, it dominated, it went viral, the picture of that pink pigeon that had been dyed pink and rescued in Madison Square Park this past Monday was in really delicate, critical condition. So who the hell would be taking a pigeon off the street and dyeing it pink and then leaving it out there to die? You know, again, I it's it's a never it never uh, ceases to amaze me how completely thoughtless people can be when it comes to animals. So I'm not sure if it's a, a total lack of knowledge that oh well it'll just come off in the rain, <laughs> like thinking it's no big deal. Um, you know, I don't know if someone thought that it was uh, an act that was uh, you know potentially could kill them, but obviously it could with. Uh, you know, any sort of feathered animal, once you start affecting its coat, then it loses all of its uh, basic abilities. In this instance, I mean, like right there, staying warm. So if you can't stay warm, I mean, that pigeon would have died had it not been rescued. Well, with all the different shifts I do here on the weekends at WABC, as I come and go from our lair on the Upper West Side here to the Upper East Side, uh, you've seen it yourself when you've joined me here on the weekends. The pigeons, they're on the ledge here, and they're always, I notice, while they're waiting for me to go out and feed them, they're preening their feathers, constantly preening them to make sure that the feathers are in line to protect themselves from the chill, from the wind. You know, the same way the cats will clean themselves, the pigeons are always preening themselves. So if you put any kind of toxic chemicals on their feathers, they're going to end up ingesting those chemicals, and it's going to cause them a horrible death. Oh, I mean, of course, and it, it, they can also find themselves, um, you know, inadvertently in something that uh, messes with their feathers. So, for instance, when we had uh, located that goose, uh, I think it was like maybe two or three years ago in the Bronx on the streets, it, it seemed like part of what was going on with it, too, it had like the oil slick uh, on the feathers, so, I mean, that is huge. And obviously, you know, being in the city, you know, animals trying to stay warm. They could be in an area where there's a lot of cars. Cars have leaks. I mean, you know, it, it could stand to reason that that would make sense. And I remember that day well because it was almost as cold as it was these last two days on the weekend. Uh, you were driving the uh, Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division vehicle. Uh, Anthony had joined us. I was sitting in the front, and I noticed the Canada goose uh, that was struggling. It had a it had a rope around its neck. Yeah. Somebody had tried to grab the Canada goose and maybe strangle it and kill it and maybe have it as a meal. Horrible. And it was right near the Fresh Direct factory, which is right near the Harlem River. And we went out. We put it in a box. We brought it. And then, Nancy, you uh, directed it to that fabulous organization, which is right down the block from us on Columbus Avenue. Can you describe what these uh, great uh, people do in saving birds and fowl? Oh, yeah. Well, you you kind of um, brushed over the the collection of this goose because we didn't just grab it up and bring it in there because we had no experience with, with actually capturing a goose before. So it was quite the ordeal. We, we were able to uh, fashion one of the uh, cat houses with a big container and then create – 
uh, you know, sort of a shuffle after the goose. And I think you actually were able to corner it in the. <laughs> yeah, the and Anthony herded the <laughs> Canada goose into the plastic uh, box that I was holding. And a number of spectators there, Puerto Ricans from the neighborhood, were wondering, what the hell were we doing? I had to explain when we weren't taking the goose home to make blood goose soup, which is like a Polish delicacy. We were taking it to get it help. And eventually this great wildlife organization repaired uh, the Canada goose. It was named Curtis in my honor and released into the pond in Prospect Park where we think to this day it lives with the other Canada goose. Yeah, it, correct. And the um, the place that's around uh, by us is the Wild Bird Fund. So, you know, they they were open. And, and again, right, imagine this is one of the problems when you find, uh, you know, any animal that's injured. And, you know, you go that next step to try and rescue them. And it's, okay, where do you bring them to? So, obviously, this is something that's so unique that, you know, to have a place where you can bring them and they will take them, uh, you know, like there's no charge. They, they take them in there, and then obviously they do um, what they can depending upon the resources. But, I mean, that's uh, a gem of a place to, to know about, and that's um, in the Upper West Side, um, right off of Columbus in 87, 88. No, it's excellent. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is the Animal Welfare Hour featuring Nancy Sliwa. Some good news to report. We filmed uh, with our video crew here at WABC our very first half-hour program about animal welfare, which should be up on the WABC YouTube channel by this Wednesday when we film the second episode. And could you describe uh, some of what was in this first episode that I'm sure people are going to want to see on Wednesday? Well, we, uh, you know, we went through uh, develop, uh, showing people how to step-by-step build an outdoor cat shelter. So between the supplies that you would need to have and then the actual steps that you would take, uh, you know, to craft one at home, uh, you know, and then, you know, so sort of and then the before and after because we had the finished product in there as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's great. Um, I think, it, you know, it explains it uh, really, you know, hands-on enough where you don't have to be experienced with having done it before. You can just watch this and, you know, first time out the box, I think you can do it, uh, have a great shelter out there. Well, this is the season where hoarders uh, are found in which these animals uh, that they have in their homes, in their domiciles, uh, are really struggling. And, wow, this was a big case. I think it was in Tarrytown or in Westchester. 150 cats were found in the house after the couple had died. Uh, Could you give us the details? Yeah, so uh, there was a a wellness check that was being conducted on a couple, um, and I, you know, I'm not sure who it was that I called this in, but when the uh, police had arrived, they had found that the uh, couple had passed away. They were in their bedroom, and apparently they owned um, upwards of 150 cats. So it had been days, and they're not sure how many days it had been, uh, you know, that these people had passed away. So these cats were, um, you know, without any... Uh, food, water, uh, you know, obviously in poor condition. You know, I mean, now, you know, obviously it was considered a hoarding case given the numbers and the condition of them 
was was poor, but I I think maybe have to consider the situation as well that uh, to whatever extent they were being cared for uh, by this couple to go that many days without any food or water, and then also the people um, passing away in the house. So I'm sure, you know, it, it probably impacted very greatly on these animals' health. And then they had to bring the majority of them to the uh, local animal shelter there, but leave a good portion of them still in the house because the shelter uh, itself was overwhelmed. They can't, it's at capacity, so they can't hold any more of these cats. So 150 cats. Now, many times people will hear or read about or see on television a case of hoarding. We talked about uh, the one in Tom's River a few weeks ago. There's another one we'll get to momentarily. And people will think of us and they'll say, well, you have, what, 16, 18 rescue cats? Uh, Are you and Nancy, are you hoarders too? You know, are we one day going to have to knock on your door on the Upper West Side and all of a sudden come in there and, oh, the horror, the stench, you know, what generally transpires in a hoarding situation? Well, I mean, well, to your point, right? So that would be what would uh, be definitive of hoarding. And I think it's more of the after effects of of lack of appropriate care, which would be really easy to to be um, aware of. So, for instance, with this couple who had the 150 cats, I mean, obviously they would have to have a constant supply of food for these cats, and they weren't in a completely secluded area. So people must have been aware of this issue, and had it been a problem before, you know, my guess would be that they would have been called on by the authorities. Oh, these people are overwhelmed. They're hoarding. So, you know, again, g- given the the size of the house, um, their ability to care for the animals, and, again, it, it doesn't seem like they were in horrific condition, even though they're saying they were in bad condition. I think you have to consider the circumstances. So I'm not sure at what point you call it hoarding unless you start looking at the health of the animals. Obviously, the maintenance of the place. I mean, they can't be living in any sort of uh, dirtiness. You would notice that right away. So yeah, I think basic parameters you can judge. Should people be reaching out now knowing that the Westchester County system of shelters are overwhelmed and that there are so many cats that are in need of adoption? Uh, would you recommend that? Oh, absolutely, because, you know, this is a, a perfect time to uh, to grab, the, grab these animals and what they're, um, you know, again, there's been enough time where, they're starting to, um, you know, interact directly with these animals enough to know that these cats are uh, well socialized. So, you know, that there's always a concern sometimes that maybe they would be fearful or frightful, but, you know, that doesn't seem to be the case. So this would be a great time to, to rescue some cats in need, I'm sure, who would really appreciate a new home. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Hour. Most listened to are the many hours I do here on the weekends where WABC, the acronym stands for Always Broadcasting, Curtis. Most called into, most requested of the many. In fact, I'm getting calls in the shows in which I'm not talking about animal issues, Nancy, in which people were asking for help dealing with uh, not only cats and uh, uh, dogs, but rats and mice and rodents. It's a whole panoply of things, and we'll eventually get back to some of your needs, whether uh, it has been broadcast here on this, the Animal Welfare Show, or the upcoming video. It should be available to all of you uh, when it's uh, uploaded on the WABC YouTube channel. Uh, but uh, there are so many different ways you can get in touch. Get a pad and a pen, because Nancy will give you the information towards the end of this hour. Now, speaking of hoarding, 
<laughs> I'm ready to designate Tom's River, New Jersey, down on the Jersey Shore, the hoarding capital of America. We had the case of the two women who got caught hoarding all kinds of animals. The animals had to be removed. And then they had the chutzpah, the hubris, to come back into court and claim that they wanted seven of those animals that were their personal animals. That's one. Now we got another case of hoarding involving rabbits. Now, I don't know if it has to do with the Lunar New Year. It's the year of the rabbit. But can you explain what the hell is happening in Tom's River? You know, I I actually I'm starting to do a little bit of a, a research into this this area because the amount of animal crimes that they have is making me think that this might be in, uh, a town that has a lot of um, you know breeding going on there. Like this may be how people are uh, supporting you know uh, whatever financial needs they have because the volume of hoarding that they're having. So this instance right here um, was. Uh, 22 rabbits were found. Now, they were in an outdoor shed. So they were in such such horrific condition that they had to call in hazmat units to, I mean, and they didn't say how many, you know, what condition they were in. They didn't say anything like that. They just said that, um, you know, they transported them to the local shelter. So, again, it would make sense that, you know, they would be a a potential breeder given that, like you said, it was the – the lunar new year and then it's the year of the rabbit so you know a lot of these um animals that can be you know sold timely right they you know uh, during easter you would sell the rabbits so during the lunar new year right so and then they found them so now this couple has um been arrested but uh yeah it seems like there's a lot of um animal abuse going on in this town and again uh, i think that you know, and it's a really, it's a very curious town. It's a small population. There's only 90,000 people who live in this town, and they seem to have a lot of animal abuse going on. So, yeah, I think this is probably one of these towns to watch for, I mean, real off-the-charts um, breeding abuse. I trace it back to the time that Tom's River won the Little League World Series in Williamsport. I'll never forget that. <laughs> when was that? <sighs> long time ago. Not actually not that long ago. They've always had good little league teams. Okay. They've always had good little league teams. I don't know why I was conflating the two. Boy, I was off my mark on that one. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And this has become the dominant issue of the other side of midnight, the Frank Morano show which is a nationally syndicated show Monday through Fridays, 1 to 5. Frank will be coming on right after uh, Dominic Carter from 12 to 1. He's got his whole crew here. We got Matt Blaze. We got Ken, the runway model. We got Alex, the brown-nosed producer. And uh, Frank, because, you know, he's a degenerate gambler. You know about gambling, Nancy. You like to gamble, but he likes to shoot craps. Not at a the... degenerate, though. No, no, you're not. You 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 gamble within your your limitations and means. He does not. He he goes wild at the Borgata shooting crabs, and because you know he, he's got a mortgage now. It's out yeah. there in Tottenville, South Shore. He's got the young baby Carmine, who's just had his first birthday. He wants to raise chickens. Yeah. In the backyard there, <laughs> he's calculated the analytics that if it's a hen. Each hen that he raises with Rachel, it's like uh, farmer gene, you know, green genes and uh, Rachel, you know, they'll be out there. That they'll, each hen can produce two eggs a day, 
And since a dozen eggs is going for like $19 a dozen, that they'll actually save money. Now, you've studied this because apparently there are a lot of people now raising chickens to save money. Yeah, so I'm surprised that this is, in fact, a bit of a new trend that uh, people are uh, starting to. And, and again, it does have to do with the fact that the price of eggs is increasing so much. I mean, they're in, it's 60 percent more than this time last year. So I think eggs are probably a staple for a lot of people. And it sounds maybe easier than it is. And, oh, again, maybe if you, if you have a little space, it could be fine. I mean, I grew up in, in Long Island where you did have the backyards, and we had neighbors who had chickens and roosters, and it was normal for me, but that was a long time ago in Long Island. I'm not sure about Staten Island, how that would work. Well, maybe you can give some tips to uh, Farmer Green Jeans, Frank Morano, and his wife, Rachel. What a what did you notice in growing up around roosters and chickens? What are the things oh, that? Oh well, first of all, it's 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 horrible because you're the minute the the sun breaks, you're everyone's up. So yeah, you really can't avoid that noise. So that's I would say annoying. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so I I personally didn't do this. This was my neighbors. So we would just have the. Uh, like the errant um, chicken that would fly over the fence periodically before my dog chased it back over the fence. Like, that's pretty much my level of experience with that. But if you do want to know more about it, apparently uh, New York City, they're teaching. Uh, there's a class that's coming up where for six weekends, um, you know, in March and April, then you can take these classes where you can raise chickens in a garden. Now, the purpose of this is to... Um, help people who have, uh, you know, who are members of their local community garden, um, how they can have chickens being raised within the community garden context, right? Because I guess that would make the most sense. So it's going to go through the biology and, and you know, and then at the end, you know, you can get the, the little fencing for them. But, I mean, they're, they're talking about raising them in the community gardens. Now, I think that's kind of a curious concept when they haven't really had this same sort of push for the feral cats in the community garden. You know, they don't have this hands-on training, which would be so ideal if they kind of push that, because that would make a lot of sense. Well, in fact, uh, Martha Stewart has tried to corner now the chicken market, you know, for people raising their own chickens like Frank Morano and Rachel. She's got Martha's Guide to Raising Happy, Healthy Chickens oh. at Home. In Bedford, she has 200 chickens. And remember, we've already oh. talked about how many animals she's raised who have met yeah, an untimely death. She is a danger death. to animal welfare with the amount of animals that have suffered a really weird, horrible fate at her hands. I wouldn't trust reading that book. Well, that's because she's too busy uh, rolling fatties with Snoop Dogg, right, and going puff, puff, fast. She's preoccupied, yes. She just had, if I remember correctly, peacocks, right? Didn't peacocks get killed out there? Yes, they did. I mean, yeah, you really have to mess up to have a peacock killed on your watch. I can just imagine, instead of Frank Morano, because he's so omnipotent, so pretentious, so I know everything. He won't consult you who grew up with chickens and roosters in Long Island. No. He'll want to go to Martha Stewart, you know, and watch all the animals get killed out in her spread in Bedford. 
Oh, my God, this woman is trying to exploit this. Martha's Guide to Raising Happy, Healthy Chickens at Home. This way you can save money by raising your own eggs. Maybe they're so happy because she is smoking with them. Oh, my God. This woman muscles in on everything. Yes. Anyway, not far from where you uh, were raised with chickens and roosters in Bohemia in Suffolk County. If you went to the South Shore there, you could on occasion, or out in the Hamptons, you could see the whales out in the distance. And I see we have a number of other stories involving ocean pollution, windmills, and unfortunately more dead whales that are washing ashore. Yeah, these. so now these whales um, that are washing ashore... Uh, in addition to the ones that are continuing by us, this is in Hawaii. So, you know, right away they, um, you know, they do, do the necropsy, but as they're observing the animal, what they notice is that there was so much blockage um, within the system that this is what caused the death of the whale. And then when they were able to, um, you know, open up the stomach, I mean, the amount of plastic debris that basically just blocked the entire system. It's almost like with the, you know, like with the Crohn's disease, like how it kind of, you know, closes up your system and nothing can uh, go through it. So it's like there's no way that this animal could live, and it was all ocean garbage. That's it, just ocean garbage. That is suffer and, a yeah. horrible death. That yeah, and actually, death. what's interesting now, this is Hawaii, obviously, where I think they put a big priority on nature. Now, the ones that washed up on shore by us. They're still waiting for the results. <laughs> this one got done within a couple of days. So, yeah, maybe we, we might be waiting a long time for the results. So we've been trying to extrapolate what might be the causes of all these whales that are washing ashore, dead baby whales, mature males, female whales. And is it the garbage, as you just mentioned? Is it the fish netting and all the fish uh, tackle and gear is it the windmills, you know, because they're putting them now six miles offshore, and uh, some of these whales may be uh, crashing into those impediments? Is it vessels? Uh, is it because it is much cleaner now, the water, so the whales are able to procreate better? Have you been able to figure any of it out? Well, I mean, it, it seems like the absolute correlation is between what's going on now with uh, the wind development that uh, is being built in the water. I mean, this is, I don't see how you can really deny the correlation. And the most obvious way to, you know, to to sort of put together the information, unfortunately, it's it's in the hands of, um, you know, different organizations where they don't really want to give the information over, right? So you have a lot of people who are seriously interested in protecting, uh, you know, the ocean wildlife. So you'll have all these organizations that this is their entire job, right? They're collecting um, information. So, okay, well, why don't you give it over to people who are willing to analyze it, even if you don't want to do it yourself so you can figure out? And I think, I mean, the obvious reason is you don't want to acknowledge what's going on. And uh, the difference here with what they're building uh, with this, you know, supposed uh, green energy sort of initiativity, they're actually drilling into the ocean uh, floor, so this isn't like um, some some other ones where they're free-floating uh, further off the shore. This is going directly into the ocean ground. So I think that's where a lot of the 
the harm is really, um, you know, uh, coming from. And also, it's just almost like the vehicular traffic. The amount of work that's being done under the water is impacting with these normal things when they're saying, oh, well, it's not attributable to us. It's attributable to the fact that they, um, you know, they got hit by a vessel. Well, yeah, but why was the vessel there? If you can track the vessel, then you know, you do know whose fault it was. And let's not forget that just yesterday the whole world was watching. One of our ace top guns took out that Chinese spying balloon that fell into the Atlantic Ocean within the 12-mile off-coast limit, which is territorial waters of the United States. Anything beyond that is international waters. And how do we know with all the particulae, all the debris that fell into the water, that the whales weren't just sweeping it up? In fact, I think it's incumbent upon you, Nancy... To conduct an experiment, we know that six days a week on the Jersey Shore from Point Pleasant to Wildwood, Shamu El Jefe, Chris Christie, is out on the Jersey Shore going up and down the Atlantic Ocean. You know how they tag the whale sometimes? They put an object on and they track. Why don't we track Chris Christie? Because the only time we know that he's on land is when he's with Stephanopoulos on ABC TV Sunday mornings uh, attacking Donald Trump. You think we'd learn a lot about whales? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. W.A.B.C. W.A.B.C. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Nancy, let's go to the phones. And again, a programming update. Uh, Nancy and I were fortunate with our video uh, production crew to do our first half-hour program that is now being edited and will be uploaded into our YouTube WABC channel. should be available Wednesday, and we will be filming Episode 2 on Wednesday, so we'll have a a repetition of every week a new half-hour on another subject that is not necessarily in sync with what we're talking about on this Animal Welfare Hour program on the radio on Sunday nights from 11 to 12. Let's go, if we can, to uh, to George, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, George. It is bu- <laughs> I think it was a cold. I really do. Let's go to Tony all the way in Florida. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tone. I can't complain about the cold, that's for sure. Why, why not? Where are you calling from? Uh, Central Florida. And the orange groves are not freezing over? 
No, it's like uh, 55 maybe right now. I think that's about as cold as it's going to get tonight. Oh, God, 55. You, you, you're just spurring more of an exodus from Connecticut, New York, New Jersey, <laughs> and eastern Pennsylvania. <laughs> I can't help but brag. I love this state and I love this weather. You're not the only one. It's the number one destination now for all Americans. First time in 46 years, the number one destination for people leaving their states is Florida. But uh, on the animal side, how how is it for cats down there? Well, I live in, in the woods in a national forest, and... Uh, I've lived down here 40 years, and, and during those 40 years, I've had about 50 cats because people dump them here in the forest. And and all the cats I've had have been cats that people have left in here. Except for a couple days ago, I had lost um, two elderly cats that I love dearly, and I went down to the shelter for the first time and adopted a cat. And we named him Felix, and he's uh, 17 pounds. And I want to ask Nancy, have you – I've heard of cats having six toes. I know that's pretty common. But this cat has seven. Is, oh, wow. Have you heard of that before? <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yes. It, it looks like almost two feet together. It's really cute. Yeah, I had one um... – uh, one rescue I did, it was uh, two siblings, two sisters, and they were so young, it took me a minute to realize that they were polydactyl, and it just looked like they were wearing gloves. They were so big. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, he's, yeah. Now, Tony, let me ask you a question. You have seen, you're living in a national forest in central Florida, right. so it's federal land, and you have, right. uh, you have, uh, been uh, the recipient of cats that were being dumped by citizens in the forest? Well, no, they usually come from the towns. Mm. And it's like they think, I guess it's like a farm out here or something, and that somebody will have a home for it, you know? Um, the worst one I found, I was driving home one night, and it's pitch dark because there's you know, no buildings or anything, and I saw what looked like a crumpled up paper bag in the road. But just in case it wasn't, I drove around it, and it's a good thing I did because somebody had left kittens in the middle of the highway, and it was a little bitty orange kitten. And uh, he lived to be 18. I had him all those years. Wow. But they they dump them all the time. I just, uh, about six months ago, somebody dumped some, and we got two. A brother and a sister. Well, you know, Tony, we had just talked about that last week on this Animal Welfare Hour, how they were dumping pets in the parks in uh, Toronto, massive parks. I love the parks in Toronto. But for the first time, people were taking their their family members, because that's how both I and Nancy view uh, pets. They're like family family members, and just dumping them into the parks. Right. I've got a neighbor... Um, we don't have many out here. I got a neighbor that's about a thousand feet away from my house, and she's the same thing. She's got a house full of cats too, because the ones I don't get, she gets, and the ones she doesn't get, I get. So we both get, always have a lot of cats. Do we think, uh, Nancy, that that is the result of the lockdown and pandemic of uh, 
March of 2020, when people were actually going out and getting pets and getting uh, rescuing uh, cats and dogs from uh, uh, shelters, and then now all of a sudden, because there's normalcy, they don't want them anymore? Well, I mean, I, I think there's a, there's definitely an element of that exacerbating it, but I think this is something that people have always done, and I, I think it's a combination of just not recognizing, you know, what, um, you know, domestic cats are. You know, it's like this misperception, oh, well, if you have, like, especially if you have, like, an indoor-outdoor cat, oh, well, it can be outdoors, so therefore it can take care of itself and it's fine. It's like, well, not really, because if you're taking care of it indoors, it's used to having a place to sleep and someone who's constantly feeding. So, and then this idea that they wander off, well, I mean, obviously, if they're not fixed, they're going to wander off, but... Yeah, they can't just live on their own once they've been domesticated. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. Let's go to Robin in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Robin. Hi, uh, Curtis and Nancy. Question. I have, my mother and I have a seven-year-old cat and wanting to know about nutrition for her. Also, we know that you and Nancy have 18 cats. What do you feed them? Oh, wow, that's good. Um, so in terms of I do uh, supplements, so whatever, um, like, I feed them, and mostly I feed them soft food, um, you know, like, and, and also it's a, let's see, so I also um, put the food down and then also pick it up as well. So, for instance, um, you know, it, when I give the cats dry food, which I do periodically, so there's, like, a couple brands that that I use, um, consistently because they're, you know, they're definitely nutritious. So I'll give them sort of like um, a little bit sparingly, but I always make sure to pick the things up because um, mm-hmm. in terms of like keeping their metabolism on point, you know, you want to just make sure it's not like sitting around all day. Um, and, and then the soft it, thing because their teeth, right? It's it's hard for their teeth right. to constantly have that. Um, and then it helps because, you know, that's like usually one of the first things that uh, starts causing them problems. They get the dental problems, and then it leads to all these other things. So, I feel like that's a a good way to to sort of get get a, around that as much as possible. And um, what do you feed them? What are the names of the cat foods that you and uh, Curtis feed your cats? Yeah, I would say the supplements is really um, the stuff that's the most important um, because, um, like for instance, uh, you know, like uh, some of like the higher end brands, I'll I'll do. But I'll also do, uh, like, straight, um, like, meats. So I'll get, um, you know, like, meats at stores um, and then just, you know, chop it up for them. And But it's really the supplements that I try to add that I think is the most because I think a lot of stuff is always going to be lacking. So I use a lot of the um, the vitamin and nutrient supplements, and I mix it in the food. So this way they're always getting that. I think that's, like, um, essential. Also, with the water, I always use distilled water, too. Um, I think that makes a difference. Um, you know, just it's a better kind of quality water than the tap, uh, you know, easy to put the tap down. But, yeah, distilled water, I think that makes a difference as well. And let me uh, ask, uh, Nancy, you, uh, you're you always giving uh, the cats treats. What are these treats? Because there are some of these treats, I notice when you get in your supply, they go gaga goo goo. They, they can't get enough of that good stuff. Yeah, it's, again, right, so it's, it, it kind of varies with them a little bit, which ones they they tend to like. So I'm trying to, like, look at the, the different types. It's uh, soft treats, like it's like these, like, little bites, right? So imagine it looks like a piece of dry food, but except that it's soft. 
And because it's in a closed container and it has like a smell and a scent to it. So, you know, every time that you're opening it up, so it's that sort of newness of the smell, right? That's the thing I always try to just keep going with them where, uh, you know, everything is, it's same like with animals in the wild, right? You want to keep everything sealed. So this way they're not smelling it because if they smell stuff all day, then, you know, it, they're not as drawn to it. Whereas the reason why they go for it is because, you know, you, you give it to them sparingly and you make sure that when they know when you're feeding them, it's go time and that's the only time they're getting it. And I have my routine, which is almost a daily matter. You know, I have to have my cup of coffee with my uh, plain bagel with the schmear of Philadelphia cream cheese. And then I got my newspapers. You know, I got to have the hard copy. I, mean, I can't just look at it online. And I notice that one of the cats always comes over, Callie, and will eat the cream cheese. And today she was very disappointed because... There was no cream cheese on it. It was butter. And she looked at me like, wow, you're denying me my my cream cheese. She really looked at me like a, another human being would. Like, where's my <laughs> yeah, cream no, cheese? Like, yeah, there was a lot of guilt associated with not having the cream cheese. But, yeah I, yeah, I would say I've noticed that with the cats as well. There's something about dairy products that they like. So whether it's actual pieces of cheese or milk um you know obviously they they seem to like that but if you have any little bits of cheese they love it uh sour cream like anything that has that milkiness to it they'll go for well now this will be a good test we'll have to pose this to matt blaze uh from the frank morano other side of midnight crew uh, ken the telephone talent coordinator and alex the brown nose producer if in fact frank who has cats who never refers his callers to you, Nancy, the expert, <laughs> tries to somehow in his omnipotent, pretentious way to give advice, which is usually wrong, would Frank part with his beloved fromage, his cheeses, and give it to his cats? Frank? Yeah, you know, no. he, he's he's the <laughs> cheese so. guy, he's the fromage guy. I don't no, think he would, because I think he's selfish when, when it comes to cheese. He would not give it to Rachel's cats, because we know they're not Frank's cats. Yeah, I think when it comes to cats, that's, yeah, he, they're not getting it. Anyway, let's go to Steve, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Steve? Hey, how you doing, Curtis? I've had better days. Okay, listen, Curtis, one question. If, if a house is going to be de- demolished, and they don't demolish it that day, say a few days later, do they have a walkthrough to go through because they know there was cats in the house? So uh, are you, uh, with specificity, uh, is there a house near you that is scheduled for to be demolished? Yeah, there's a few, but one was already taken down. Oh, I found wow. three kittens in the, in a cinder block three days later. Wow. Oh, my God. And I... And actually, I fed them. I got them going, I, and they're grown and all that. But here's another thing. My friend is 82 years old. His name is Pat Partell. He's lived in this area in Orange for years. He has cats. This lady, Mrs. Pat's cat from, from East Orange, comes and takes the cats, the kittens, after he feeds them and they're grown. And another lady. They must have took all these cats, they steal them all the time, and they get away with it. I call the report. I call the animal control guy, and he says, 
call the police. I try to call the police. How can you prove they're his cats? I go, look, they're not my cats. I just feed them when he can't do it. And it's a pain in the neck. I got videos of them breaking the fence, sneaking under the fence, coming in with cages. Uh, uh, well, catnappers. Hey. Now, are you sure they're not, these women are not trapping the cats to do spading and neutering? Well, uh, that that I don't know. They took the one cat the other day. I named him Limpy because he was fighting with a raccoon, and uh, he, he more or less protects me, you know. And his brother, he had this cage with a PVC pipe. I think that when she pulled the stick out to, to drop the cage, like, you know, like a crate. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like I, drops, yeah. She, well, I think she broke the guy's foot. What a, well, well let's do this. Let's do this, Steve. Uh, stay on the line. Ken, uh, uh, telephone talent coordinator, could you get all of, write it down, uh, get all of Steve's information? It sounds to me, Nancy, and you're the yeah. expert on this, that maybe the two women are doing their trapping to spade and neuter the cats. Oh, right. So, yeah, right. So, so that that would be the hope that that's what they're doing. Um, and, you know, normally if someone's doing that, they would, you know, have, like, been there the days before and introduce themselves and, oh, this is what we're trying to do, this is what's going on. So they might not have relayed that information, but, again, right, the, the problem could be maybe it could also be this idea that, oh, they're just wild and we're going to bring them to the shelter and trap them. Like, so, yeah, we could find out what that is because if a rescue group did it, we would we would know if a group yeah, was involved. So in we'll follow up. And by the way, this guy, this old codger who's like eighty two there in Orange, would make a perfect friend of Frank Morano, who is describing that most of his friends are in their nineties and eighties. So I, I think uh, that would be the perfect uh, friend, uh, another friend for Frank Morano. He said, "My, can you believe this, Nancy? He said, "My friends, they're like in their eighties and nineties." Yeah, that sounds like his feet. My God. Anyway, finally, let's go to Mike in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour here at WABC, Mike. Yes, great show. Uh, first of all, my cat goes nuts for something, a snack called Temptations. It's like a little packet. It's like I'm feeding them Fabergé eggs because it's a little expensive. I mean, it's like $5 for a pack of t- Temptations. But I call it the, the kitty crack because I go nuts for it. And uh, they also like Fancy Feast Trout for whatever reason. And um, the last thing is, we always, me and the cats, we usually divvy up a can of uh, human tuna with vegetable oil. We, we, we split it three ways. I mean, they'd see me eat it, but they go nuts for the human tuna in vegetable oil, and it's actually cheaper than the cat tuna, which I've, uh, I've never tried that, thank God. But anyway, great show, and I'll catch you guys next week. Now, he's right about the tuna, right? But it, do they like it with the olive oil, or do they like it plain? Oh, uh, you know, I, I think ours like it with with both. Um, yeah, obviously we we do that occasionally, but yeah, they do make the cat food tuna, which is pretty funny because I guess it's supposed to mimic the the people tuna, so it's kind of comparable. It's probably, they probably, I think they enjoy it better the tuna people tuna. Well, you know, he mentioned the temptations, and uh, when you've had me go to our nearby Gristides, uh to get the temptations because. They they sell like hotcakes. Uh, they have all different flavors. The cats love Temptations. It'll be interesting because, as you know, Sid Rosenberg hates cats. He's gone on record. I, I'm aware. I've been uh, designated here at WABC the spokesperson for Gristides since we go to Gristides. 
Uh, Sid has been designated the spokesperson for D'Agostino, and we've been to D'Agostino also. We have both in our neighborhoods. But I don't think that Sid Rosenberg has ever been in a pet aisle to get any kind of pet food, Nancy. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. So I'll tell you what. I think we could do an experiment. We'll get a can of Italian tuna, you know, which is different than, like, bumblebee or chicken of the sea or anything like that. Okay. And I think we'll test it with our cats and then test it with other cats to see which they most prefer. And then we'll get this Gabon, who got very upset that he was not designated to be the spokesperson for Christides. He was really licking his wounds uh, on Friday, Sid Rosenberg. And I'm going to bring it up with him tomorrow morning at 7.05 when I'm on again with him. Mondays at 7.05, Wednesday at 7.05, and Fridays at 7.05. That The big test will be whether it's, uh, quote, American tuna fish, or Italian tuna fish. Ooh. Well, we got to first test it out with the cats to see what they prefer. I myself prefer the Italian tuna fish on on a nice loaf of Italian bread. There's nothing better than that in the world, Nancy. Nothing. Okay. Anyway, if people want to get in touch with you uh, in terms of any more information that you can relate to them or problems that they're having that involve animal welfare, how can they do that? Uh, they can uh, go to the website, guardianangels.org, or they can email me, nancy at guardianangels.org. And uh, remember, look forward Wednesday on the YouTube channel at WABC, the first episode of Animal Welfare featuring uh, Nancy and myself. And in future episodes, we'll actually have live cats, live dogs, live animals that we'll be talking about for the full hour. So you get the animal welfare on the radio for a full hour, but it will not be a carbon copy of the uh, the video because we will cover as many different topics as we can exclusively here at WABC.